Welcome to Positive Living, the program that brings you practical and inspiring principles for living more authentic, engaging, and passionate lives. Created by Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now, with Positive Living, here's Patricia Raskin. Well, good afternoon, everyone, if you're on the East Coast, and good morning, everyone, if you're on the West Coast. You are listening to Positive Living, and I'm Patricia Raskin. Always an honor and pleasure to be with you each week. This program is all about turning your problems into solutions, your challenges into opportunities, and making your dreams come true. And today is certainly no exception. You can give us a call if you're listening live on August 11th on Monday, between 11 and 12 Pacific, and between 2 and 3 p.m. Eastern, and the number is 866 472 5788. If you're not listening live, all these shows are archived on voiceamerica.com, and if you go to raskinresources.com or patriciaraskin.com, the archives are there, and uh, it leads you right to the Voice America site. Today we're talking about how do you communicate effectively with audiences, and I have a great guest. His name is David Bartlett. He's an expert in strategic communication and crisis management. He's one of the country's most sought-after communication strategists and effective coaches. He's the former president of Radio TV Directors, New- uh, Directors News Directors Association. Welcome, David. Happy to be here. Good. All right. Your new book, which is very interesting, is entitled Making Your Point, Communicating Effectively with Audiences of One to One Million. Well, that's quite a spread. Um, don't you think you need different strategy when you're one to one than when you're in front of an audience of many, or do you think it's the same? Well, it's the same in some ways, and it's very different in others. At the strategic level, it's exactly the same. It doesn't matter whether you're talking to someone across a desk or whether you're standing up in a stadium addressing 50,000 people. Uh, at a strategic level, your uh, challenge and the way you approach that challenge is exactly the same. When you get down to talking about, well, it's a media interview or it's a speech or it's a presentation uh, or it's just a meeting, then things are different. Uh, if you're communicating good news versus bad news, say, in a crisis, uh, obviously your tactics change. But interestingly enough, the strategic imperatives behind it all remain pretty much the same. Okay. So is there a certain, and do you need to, before you speak, you need to have your message clear? Do you need to know exactly not only what you want to deliver, but know how to say it in a way that that participant, that audience, whether it's one people or a thousand people, are going to hear it? So you have to craft it, correct? Oh, absolutely. If you, if you sort of sum up the whole game in three words, they would be these, focus, strategy, and emotion. Mm. Uh, Focus is a matter of what do you want to say. If you have too much to say, you're unlikely to say any of it very effectively. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whether we like it or not, other people, because they have their own interests, their own concerns, they're always wondering what's in it for me, uh, they're not going to listen very carefully unless you give them a compelling reason to do so. So you have to decide what it is you want folks to remember. You have to decide exactly what it is you want to say uh, before you go any further. Then you have to think strategically. Ask yourself often a difficult question. Why do you want to say something? With whom do you need to communicate and why? Uh, And that's not just automatic. Uh, You have to have, again, a strategic reason behind 
your communication. Well, and the other challenge is you may not know who that person is you're talking to and you're talking to them cold, so you really don't know their style. People have different styles of listening and receiving information. Well, you better know who they are or you're very likely, and more than that, you better know what what makes them tick uh, or you're not going to be very successful in trying to communicate with them, and that's where the emotion part comes in. Mm -hmm. You have to understand, above all, how your audience feels. It's not about what they know or what you can uh, teach them. It's about how they feel and how effective you are in getting in touch with those feelings. Uh, It's a sad but immutable fact that the facts alone, particularly in very difficult communication situations, are simply not sufficient to get the job done, no matter how compelling those facts Mm -hmm. might be. Mm -hmm. People will not embrace facts alone unless there's an emotional predicate for that. So when you say emotion, David, is it speaking to what their needs are? Mm -hmm. Is it knowing how to use the right words? Is it all of that? It's understanding what makes them happy, what makes them sad, what makes them angry, uh, what expectations they may have. For example... I could ask you how many people have been killed in this country in nuclear power plant accidents in the last 50 years, mm-hmm. and you might come up with the right answer, which happens to be zero. But if I were to ask that same question of people who live next to nuclear power plants, how many of them do you suppose would believe that factual answer? Well, Yeah, also zero in all likelihood. And so you have to ask yourself, well, why is it that perfectly ordinary people, people who are just like us, who happen to live next to a nuclear power plant, won't believe anything I tell them about nuclear power plants, even if I can prove factually that it's true? Mm -hmm. Because they have an emotional expectation, an emotional concern. Basically, what's going through their head is, hey, that's all well and good for you to tell me those quote-unquote facts. Yeah, but I don't want it to affect me. Right. If something goes wrong, it's going to be my kids that glow in the dark, not yours. Yeah. Uh, so right there, you have a classic example of risk communication and of the, of the overwhelming importance, the overriding importance of emotion rather than fact. Before you can give somebody facts, you have to get their permission, their emotional permission, to even listen to you, much less believe what you say. Mm. Very interesting. And I, I imagine that would be even even more so in writing, where you have to feel that person out or ask certain questions if you're doing your writing and your communications by email or by, by letter. Absolutely, absolutely. It's, uh, there's no margin for error in writing. Right, if you, you don't have the visual component to Exactly, to you don't have the you. visual cue. If I'm if I'm looking at somebody and I say something unless I'm really not paying attention, uh, I can see how it's playing. I can see whether they're buying it or whether they're rejecting it, whether they're looking at me or whether they're tuning me out, and I can respond accordingly. Uh, I can change what I'm saying. I can adjust what I'm saying. A whole host of tricks that you can use, but you have to get the information first. When you're writing, basically, you've got one shot at it. So is it better, David, to meet with people in person? 
Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and if for no other reason, then you can use nonverbal means of communication. When you stand up in front of a group to speak, 60% roughly of what they uh, take away, of how, of, of how they perceive what you're saying, is entirely visual. Only about 30% of it is verbal, in other words, how you sound, and only about 10% of it, roughly speaking, involves the actual content of what you say. They're much more likely to react to how you look, to whether you're a nice person, whether you seem to be a mean person, whether you're an attractive person. Uh, that's all part of the communications yeah. package, mm -hmm. and you have to take that into account. So clearly, if I have a choice of convincing somebody of, some, of something, I'm going to want to do it in person mm -hmm. because I can read them and they can read me. Yeah. You talk about three fundamental challenges of getting others to pay attention to what you have to say and to believe what you tell them and remember what you said. We've got a couple of minutes to at least do one of them, but that's an important point. A very important point because, again, that's the, you have to look at that as the overarching communications challenge. I don't care whether you're communicating in writing, uh, on stone tablets, or on the Internet. You have to get people to pay attention to what you say. You have to be sufficiently interesting that they will bother to listen in the first place. Mm -hmm. Then you have to establish and maintain your credibility. Hard to gain, easy to lose. Mm -hmm. But they have to believe you, obviously. And then you have to make what you say memorable enough that they'll remember it long enough to do anything about it. If they forget what you say, then the fact that they may that you may have had them in the palm of your hand during your speech becomes irrelevant. Mm. So it really has a lot. There's just so many factors that go into this, and also your own self confidence. Correct? I mean, how you present it. If you if you're a little bit skittish or if you're feeling insecure that day, that's not going to help you. Not at all, because audiences can read it. And their, their reaction, whether they admit it uh, verbally or consciously or not, is, gee, uh, maybe he's got something to be nervous about. Mm -hmm. uh, hard to establish credibility when you look like you're scared of your own shadow. Yeah. What else do we need to know? What other challenge in terms of getting people to pay attention? Well, again, I want to go back to the emotional component because it's so easy to overlook. Uh, and in my practice with my clients, I deal with people who know what they're talking about. And they simply can't understand. It's impossible for them to get their heads around the notion that other people don't have the same reverence for the verifiable facts that they do. And so they try to translate what they say into simple terms, and it doesn't work. And they get annoyed. Uh, they try to be absolutely truthful, and it doesn't work, and they get annoyed. Uh, and what they're overlooking is the fact that emotion matters. Aristotle figured it out 2,300 years ago. If you're going to convince somebody of something, you have to get their emotional permission. You have to reach them through their guts and through their hearts before you ever have a chance of getting into their heads. Hmm. And so that again, but I 
Would you agree, though, that one of the main components of making that happen is that you, as a deliverer of the information, have to be very passionate and a strong believer in what you're presenting? Absolutely. And more than that, uh, there's a lot of people I work with who are passionate about what they say, sincerely passionate. You know, they say here in Washington, if you can fake sincerity, you've got it made. Mm. But the people I work with are genuinely passionate in almost every case. The missing piece is conveying that passion. Mm. Give you an example. You stand up to give a speech. If you hide behind the podium, if you hold on to the podium, if you don't let yourself free to communicate with your hands and your eyes and your face and your smile, as well as with your voice, then you're not going to get across to those people. You're not going to reach them emotionally. There's simply no way you can do it because your passion, however deep and abiding it might be, is not being conveyed to them. You have to show them with that 60% of the package, which is pure body language, that you are passionate about what you're saying, All right, that you believe take... it, that you care about it. All right, we're going to take a break on that note. My guest is David Bartlett, an expert in strategic communications and crisis management. He's one of the country's most sought-after communication strategists and executive coaches. His book is Making Your Point, Communicating Effectively with Audiences of One to One Million. All right, folks, you're listening to Positive Living. I'm Patricia Raskin. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Here's a show for baseball players, coaches, parents, and those who love the game. At least 90% of sports success, including baseball, requires mental strength in order to fully benefit from technical ability. And the higher the competition level, the more critical it becomes to possess mental muscle. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time to Championship Thinking, hosted by Jim Meyer, and brought to you by the National High School Baseball Coaches Association. Jim, sports psychology coach, trainer, and author of numerous articles and the workbook, Championship Thinking, Building Mental Muscle in Baseball, simplifies the mental game with Easy to understand tools and tips. With his weekly guests, Jim draws from successes with professionals, college, high school, and youth teams, coaches, and players. Learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure, tension, and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance. Tune in and tune up your mental and technical knowledge and skills with Championship Thinking every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time right here on America's Voice, Voice America. Hey, Dad. What? Can't get the ketchup bottle open. Here, let me try. Here you go. Thanks. You don't have to be a hero to be a hero. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Had an accident? The people you may encounter may be attorneys, doctors, and insurance agents. How do you protect yourself and your family? Tune into Meeting by Accident with attorney Tom Woodruff, an experienced trial attorney and former legislator. Attorney Woodruff and his expert guests assist and inform on what to do in a crisis, what steps to take, what to avoid, and most important, what you need to know to get through the process. Meeting by Accident broadcasts every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. 
Because being informed makes all the difference. Tune into Meeting by Accident with attorney Tom Woodruff. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Hi everyone, we are back. You are listening to Positive Living, and I'm Patricia Raskin. And as I always say, this program is about turning your challenges into opportunities, your problems into solutions, and making your dreams come true. You can give us a call if you are here today live, which is August 11th on Monday between 2 and 3 p.m. Eastern and between 11 and noon Pacific. And if not, you can log on to voiceamerica.com for all of the archives of my show, or you can go on to raskinresources.com or patriciaraskin.com, and there's a link there right to the Voice America archives. All these shows are archived on their site. We are talking today about how do you make your point, how do you communicate really effectively to an audience of one or to one million. My guest is David Bartlett. His book is Making Your Point, Communicating Effectively with Audiences of One to One Million. David Bartlett is an expert in strategic communications and crisis management. He's one of the country's most sought-after communication strategists and executive coaches. He's a former president of the Radio TV News Directors Association. Welcome back, David. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Let's talk more about some challenges in terms of really getting people to pay attention to you. Now, you said what's very important here is the emotionality. You know, you have to capture their emotion. Um, any strategy on how to do that? Well, understanding. Uh, I mean, some people call it uh, good listening. Some people call it empathy. Call it what you will. It's a matter of stepping outside your moccasins long enough to walk a couple of miles in somebody else's. Now, that seems so obvious and so easy, really. It's not a hard thing to do for most people, but it's difficult or it's problematic because we don't think to do it. We don't take the time to say, gee, beyond the facts that I know and that I'm going to try to pound into the head of somebody else, uh, what do they know, or what don't they know, or what do they care about? And what makes this uh, complicated very often is that what somebody else feels is usually, at least in our terms, irrational. Mm-hmm. Uh, give you an example. We all, all of us, worry about all the wrong things. For example? For example, statistically, without any question, it is a verifiable fact that it is safer to fly around the world in an airplane than it is to drive to the airport to get on it. Hmm. Now, that's not uh, in question. That is statistically verifiable. And by the way, the percentages are orders of magnitude different. It's not even a close call. Mm -hmm. But how many people do you know who are less afraid of flying than they are of driving. Not very many. The reason is irrational emotion. We worry about things for the wrong reasons. We worry about all the wrong things. David, let me just interject. Don't you also think it's because we hear about the plane crashes that are one in a million, but that's what we hear about on the news. Well, of course, but the reason that the news covers the planes that go down and not the planes that land safely is because a fundamental definition of news is the unusual, the bizarre, the extreme, the sensational. Mm -hmm. 
Nobody does stories about all the cars that don't crack up. Nobody does stories about all the cats that don't get caught up in trees. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's we just do the, the stories about the cars and the car accidents, but people are still more afraid of flying. Well, sure, because, well, I, I, can, I can go into a little detail of risk communication theory. The reason we worry more about the airplane than we do about the car is because of control. We're not in control of the plane, and therefore anything that we, and this is true of all of of everybody, of all of us, to a greater or lesser extent, anything that we don't control, we perceive to be more dangerous than something we do control, notwithstanding how dangerous, relatively speaking, it may be. Mm -hmm. Uh, Similarly, we used the example earlier of the nuclear power plant. Nuclear power plants are perceived to be more risky than, say, ordinary coal-fired power plants uh, because nuclear power is relatively new and mysterious. The fact is that statistically, it's far more dangerous to live next door to a coal-fired power plant with all the smoke and the pollution and all the rest, but they're familiar. We know what smoke is. We can see it. We can smell it. Uh, we know it's kind of dangerous, but we don't worry about it so much because it's been around forever. Mm-hmm. We don't know what radiation tastes like or smells like or looks like, and so we're naturally more concerned about it. Now, you see the common thread of those examples is absolute irrationality. Yeah. It's absolutely at variance with, with easily verifiable facts. So the challenge of communicating with other people is to understand that they may be coming to the conversation from an irrational, non-fact-based direction. Mm -hmm. There's nothing you can do about that except work with it. Now, here's where the problem arises. Mm -hmm. It is the habit, the inclination of a lot of people when confronted by somebody who is obviously driven by irrationality to criticize that to disrespect that, Mm -hmm. to say, well, only a really dumb person could ignore the fact that it's safer to live next to a nuclear power plant than it is to live next to a coal-fired power plant, Mm -hmm. so you must be stupid, so I'm here to make you smart. Mm -hmm. To which that person reacts, well, I may be stupid and you may be trying to make me smart, but uh, I'm not going to listen to you because you don't respect my okay. concerns. And the problem with that conversation is that it doesn't go anywhere. So whatever you were trying to sell or whatever you were trying to get across is dying with that conversation. Precisely, because the person isn't listening to you. Yeah. Uh, and frankly, if you put yourself in their position, would you listen to somebody who obviously has contempt for your emotions, for your concerns, but, for the things that you, that you consider to be valuable? David, what do you do with people who yes you? They look at your face and they yeah. And they, oh yeah, that's a great idea, David. That I really like, and then don't follow through. And not only don't follow through, but really don't like it. How do you kind of pick up that mo if you'd like, if you, for a better word to use a better word? Well, a lot of people do it. Uh, there's there's a sort of a three part test in crisis communication that we like to apply. Just kind of a reality check. Mm-hmm. called Concern, Commitment, and Action. Uh, it's absolutely necessary for you to express and demonstrate concern for the victim of whatever victims, perhaps, of whatever 
problem there is. You've blown something up or burned something down or spilled something in the river. You have to show concern for that. Show that you care. Okay. You, ha- you have to show commitment to fix the problem. Mm-hmm. It's a very interesting aspect of, of crisis communication, specifically that the public will forgive you for messing up. They'll it's forgive you for doing something wrong if you demonstrate that you're committed to fixing it. Mm -hmm. And then that final test, and arguably the most important test, is action. Simply saying you care and you're committed is, you know, a mission statement. Everybody has one. Nobody can remember who was on the committee that wrote it. Uh, Action has to be shown. So that's the way you differentiate yourself from the person who, as you just said, yeses you to death. Uh, and that's by showing action. Mm-hmm. So all three are important components, but right. uh, do you, you can't leave client? action out. And how do you work with a client who says yes to action and doesn't follow through? It's happened two or three times. How do you effectively communicate with that client without them getting them angry so that you shut, shut them down? Well, perhaps if we've gotten to that point, I haven't communicated very effectively with them, so I've already failed the test. I see. Uh, but a more fundamental uh, answer to your question is, I guess, the same answer that a doctor or a lawyer would give you. Uh, I get paid to give advice. I pay great attention to giving the right advice. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, I can't force any of my clients to take my advice. Most do. Some don't. uh, But I get paid anyway. Just like a doctor, say. just like a lawyer. Yeah. yeah, that's what you have to say. Okay. All right. Um, if people want to know more about what you're doing or get some help, uh, do they go to your website? Tell us about that. Yes, there's the, the book has a website. It's uh, www.making-your-point.com. Uh, and you can see more about the book. You can hear excerpts of the book. Uh, you can read a chapter and so forth. Okay. All right. And when we come back, we're going to talk more about um, using some technology, which, as you have written in your book, is, is really so helpful today. We didn't have this 10 years ago, blogs and podcasts and YouTube, and how we can promote our message and, and really enhance our profile. And uh, it, you've done, obviously, some study of this to see how effective we are in using those technologies, Correct. Oh, no question about it. Uh, It's become, well, around here we like to say that there's no such thing as the new media anymore. Uh, It's just the media and the old media. Uh, Blogs, social networking sites, podcasts, the list goes on and on, uh, are the media of choice today. If you want to reach somebody, that's where you have to go. All right, my guest is David Bartlett, Senior Vice President of Levick Strategic Communications and one of the country's most sought-after communications strategists and executive coaches. He's helped top executives, corporations, trade associations, nonprofits, and multinationals to communicate effectively with a wide variety of stakeholder groups. He also served as the president of the Radio Television News Directors Association 
as well as Vice President of News and Programming for NBC Radio and many others, and the list goes on. All right, folks, you're listening to Positive Living, and you certainly can log on to the website, which is making-your-point.com. My guest today, again, is David Bartlett. His book is Making Your Point, Communicating Effectively with Audiences of One to One Million. Listening to Positive Living, I'm Patricia Raskin. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. There's plenty more. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Wine and Women is not your boring wine geek show. It is rather a fresh, fast-paced approach featuring interesting stories and entertaining segments about wine and wine-related topics through a warm and chatty format that will appeal especially to women, men optional. Hosted by wine connoisseurs and luxury lifestyle experts, Julie Brosterman, Lisa Kring, Sharon Borston, and Jeanette Oku, Wine and Women takes listeners to Napa, Sonoma, and other wine regions worldwide to meet the best as well as the newest winemakers, to restaurants to meet top chefs and some to wine-themed spas, wine country getaways, even into supermarket wine aisles where Women and Wine Angels swoops down and helps shoppers to get their wine picks and more. Women and Wine broadcasts each Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Women and Wine, enjoying life one sip at a time. I can take care of myself. I can make a peanut butter sandwich. I can brush my teeth and I can give myself a bath. I can walk home alone from school. I can pick dinner from the trash behind the deli. I can watch the baby for the whole weekend. I can keep a baseball bat by my bed just in case there's trouble. Don't worry about me. I can take care of myself. If you're in jail, who'll be there to take care of your family? Something to think about before committing a gun crime. Gun crimes hit home. This message brought to you by Project Safe Neighborhoods and the Ad Council. Looking for a good time? We've got a show that will give you a wild ride. This show will make you feel good. And it's not even bad for you. You need your time to let loose. It's time for a feel-good party. Pull up to the computer, mix yourself a drink, and turn up the speakers. Happy Hour is here. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. It's called the biggest radio show in the world. Hosted by international personality and pundit Michael DeMarco. You don't know what's coming next. The biggest radio show in the world on Voice America. VoiceAmerica.com Hi everyone, we are back. You are listening to Positive Living and I'm Patricia Raskin right here on VoiceAmerica.com. You know, I was telling my guest David just now that I started on Voice America at the very beginning when it just started uh, seven years ago, and I think they were around maybe a, a year or two before that, when the Internet was just beginning to deliver media programs, and now we have so many, and it's, it's terrific because it allows those of us who are doing real positive media to have a voice, and people really want to hear now. So that's exciting. And again, remember, this program, Positive Living, is all about that. 
turning your problems into solutions and your challenges into opportunities and making your dreams come true. My guest today is David Bartlett. His book is Making Your Point, Communicating Effectively with Audiences of One to One Million. David Bartlett is an expert in strategic communications and crisis management and is one of the country's most sought-after communication strategists and executive coaches. Welcome back, David. Thanks Let's for having me. Let's talk about the power of the blog and podcasts and social networking. Well, around here, we talk about the media and the old media. It's not new media anymore. Uh, blogs, podcasts, streaming on the Internet, what we're doing right now, uh, are becoming the new normal. Now, the difference between what we're doing now and, let's say, the NBC Nightly News is one of numbers. Uh, mass audiences, such as they exist, still incline toward broadcast television mm-hmm. and, to a slightly lesser extent, cable television. But it's also worth noting, just to take that one example, that the dinnertime network television news shows have, over the past less than a generation, lost 50% of their aggregate audience. Those people didn't disappear. In fact, there are a lot more people watching television now than there were back when those programs had 50% more more viewers. Mm -hmm. What's changed is that there's a lot more choice. Uh, Now, old media people, and I used to be one, uh, lamented fragmentation of the marketplace. How can we ever afford to do business? How can we ever be effective if no, none of our programs is getting a huge individual audience? Well, there are plenty of ways to do that. Uh, if you want to just take the radio business as one example, the largest radio market in the country is, of course, New York City. Mm-hmm. At any given time, according to the latest ratings, of the people who are listening to the radio, not counting the people that aren't listening to the radio, of those that are listening to the radio at any given moment, 95% of them are listening to someone other than the number one station in the market. The number one station in the New York market does around a five share. That's 5% of the listening audience. Mm -hmm. Now, that defines, for me, fragmentation. That defines for me a world where many, many, many voices can be heard, but they have to fight for many, many ears one at a time or two at a time. Which is why the Internet is such a great vehicle, because anybody can get on at any time. Anybody can get on at any time uh, because of archiving. It's it's asynchronous. You can listen whenever you want. Mm -hmm. That's really the essence of a podcast. I mean, a podcast is simply an audio file that you download to your iPod so you don't have to lug your computer with you. Uh, it's, it's, no, it's nothing special. It's, uh, it's technology, not content. But it's changed content dramatically because it's allowed anybody to reach anybody pretty much any time. And that wasn't the case a generation ago. A generation ago, program directors, producers, editors had a very important function to perform. They had to manage a shortage, a scarcity of time and space. Yes. There were only so many minutes on the evening newscast. There were only so many column inches in the newspaper. Somebody had to decide what fit and what didn't. 
That was what the editor, that's what the journalist did. That's changed. Now, with the World Wide Web, it's infinitely wide, infinitely deep. Uh, there is there is no scarcity now. Our challenge now the challenge is managing abundance. Yes, and and let's talk about the different vehicles and venues, such as a blog. Now, when we first started with blogs, I always thought of a blog as kind of a personal thing, so that even if you weren't in business, you could. It was almost like a diary in a sense. Blogs have changed, though, haven't they? Oh, completely. In fact, the way you describe a blog is exactly what a blog was. Yes. Blog stands for web log, and it was a log of your activity. Somebody would, on their personal web page, and everybody gets one with their Internet connection if they want to use it, uh, you would write a little diary, share with the world or anybody, any part of it that might be looking at your website, uh, kind of what you did that day and how you felt about it and what you thought about this, that, or the other thing. Well, obviously, we have gone orders of magnitude uh, more sophisticated uh, than we were in those days. But still, if you strip away the nonsense, what is a blog? It's a website or a piece of a website on which somebody can write whatever they please. Uh, Some blogs, not all, some blogs allow other folks to weigh in and comment on what you have said on your blog and then to comment on the comments on the comments on the comments. Uh, But at the end of the day, a blog is simply a personal website, which now, thanks to abundance rather than scarcity, any of us can have. Uh, it used to be that you had to have a pretty good-sized uh, checkbook to buy yourself a newspaper mm-hmm. uh, or a radio station or a television station. But now you can put video, audio, and, of course, print on the oh, web yeah. for essentially nothing. Mm-hmm. There's no bar to entry anymore. Amazing. David, what would you say is the difference between a blog and a newsletter? Couldn't you put a newsletter in a blog? Uh, as far as I can tell, there is absolutely no difference between the two. Hmm. Uh, except one is electrified and the other isn't. I mean, most blogs, if you look at them, are newsletters. Let's talk about MySpace and MyFace and and all of those. (laughs) (laughs) That little subset of the world. Yeah. Fascinating uh, and of increasing importance, dramatically increasing importance. What's the difference between those personal social networking sites and blogs? Well, at one, listeners. Yeah, at one level, nothing. Uh, if you look at, a, at a, a MySpace page or if you look at a Facebook page, it looks startlingly like a website because it is a website. Uh, it's simply how that website is put to use, how that technology is put to use. And the difference, slight though it may be, is that MySpace and Facebook and the other less well-known Uh, so-called social networking sites, uh, are uh, all about interconnection. They're all about uh, posting your information in the hopes that other people will post information of a similar nature and that they will cross-link it with you. Uh, Mm -hmm. Groups of friends, networks of friends, that's why they're called social networking sites. The name says it. Uh, A website, per se, is obviously a little bit different than that. A blog, per se, is a little bit different than that. Some blogs don't even have a two-way function. It's simply there for anybody to read, like you'd post it on a bulletin board or put it on a 
uh, on a yeah. billboard, uh, and mm-hmm. and you're not inviting comments. You don't take comments. Mm-hmm. Uh, social networking is the the quintessence of two-way. It's the essence of networking. Yeah. And that's that's really the difference. Uh, David, what would you say, if you look globally, what's the global implication in terms of the way we're living? I mean, what does this all say? Does this all say we're getting closer because we can write, we're becoming better writers, that the world is getting smaller, that we need to... I mean, what what's the implication here socially? Well, uh, I, I wish it were an indication that we're better writers. It's clearly not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we'll set that aside for the moment. Uh, that's my little complaint about the world. Uh, it is definitely it, meaning uh, networking in general, the web specifically, the Internet in the most broad sense, uh, basically broadband interconnection to be mm-hmm. generic, is definitely making the world a smaller place. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the fact that I can communicate in real time on email with somebody in Hong Kong mm-hmm. uh, is now taken for granted. Yeah. Uh, the fact that somebody can tune into this program on their computer uh, without uh, a radio station getting in the way, uh, clearly, in the, and they can do that anywhere in the world, uh, anywhere in the world at any time, clearly indicates the world is getting smaller. But as Somebody said way back when the telegraph was invented, it's all well and good to uh, transmit a message from here to there, but does any, has anybody given any thought to whether the message was worth transmitting in the first place? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's and the problem is the filtering. You see, that's the difference. Whereas with other media, things are already filtered for you. Here they're not. They're not exactly. edited. That's, that's both, the, both the positive and the negative yeah. of... Of the internet as a medium, uh, or of any of the any of the media that use it as a platform, it isn't mediated. Now, there's two ways to look at that. You can be a glass half full kind of person or a glass half empty kind of person. The glass half empty kind of person laments the fact that there's no longer any filtering, and that oh my goodness, you may get some real garbage coming through uh, on the internet uh, along with the good stuff. Well. I heard the same complaints a generation ago, people complaining about the gatekeepers. Uh, why should somebody in New York uh, decide what I should be watching on the TV news yeah. in Santa Fe? Yeah. Uh, good point. Uh, that's no longer the case anymore. Now, everybody can get pretty much anything they want anytime they want well, and, at, and, right, at and, low and, cost and low aggravation. Right, of course, and the problem often comes within, within families with children, you know, where I interview people that say, don't let your kids alone with the computer unless you're in the room because you don't know what they're watching. That's exactly right, but you could say the same thing about the radio and you could say the same thing about television. Oh, that's true. Uh, I mean, back in the in the 50s, Kids listened on their brand-new transistor radios hidden under their pillows uh, to, oh, my goodness, rock and roll, mm-hmm. guaranteed to destroy the youth of America. <laughs> now, it's, it's arguable whether the youth of America of my generation were, in fact, damaged by rock and roll music, but mm-hmm. there wasn't an awful lot that our parents could do about it, mm-hmm. except take the radio away, yeah. which you could certainly do today with a computer, but... Think of all you're giving up. Yes. Think of the baby you're throwing out with the bathwater. Yeah. So very few people do it, and thank goodness they don't. Right. 
All right, we're going to take a break. My guest is David Bartlett. His book is Making Your Point, Communicating Effectively with Audiences of One to One Million. And we've been talking about technology and how uh, the technology of the Internet and blogs and podcasts and websites have really taken over our culture in so many ways. David Bartlett is a Senior Vice President of Levick Strategic Communications and one of the country's most sought-after communication strategists and executive coaches. When we come back, we're going to talk more about using technology. And if you have any questions for David about strategy and communications, you certainly can give us a call if you're listening live on August 11th on Monday between 2 and 3 p.m. Eastern and 11 and noon Pacific at 866-472-5788. You're listening to Positive Living. I'm Patricia Raskin. And you can log on to my website, RaskinResources.com or PatriciaRaskin.com, and that will lead you to the various programs that I have. Uh, And stay tuned, folks. I'm Patricia Raskin. We'll be right back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. If you want to put the pep back in your step, Chad Lafferty's has just what you're looking for. Dance is life. Life is dance. It's only about dance. It's about moving through life with style, gaining awareness of the never-ending, ever-flowing movement that accompanies all of life's activities. Dance is life. Life is dance. Broadcast every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Radio Network. Be sure to tune in and tap into the limitless healing that dance can provide. Can't stop now. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like. Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, oh! There you go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt U.S. Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. And today we have a great guest. We're talking about effectively communicating. My guest is David Bartlett. His book is Making Your Point. And David is very well known in this entire industry of communications. He's vice president of Levick Strategic Communications and one of the country's most sought-after communication strategists and executive coaches. And we're talking about not just making your point um, through audiences and speaking, but also through technology. And welcome back, David. Um, Let's talk a little more about what would be your advice to people in general, you know, who need to communicate. They're either in business, they're in marketing. Of course, we all need to communicate. But do you feel that it's essential that they get involved in technology? Do you think that, you know, they must learn it? What do you think? Oh, no question. Uh, You have to be on the cutting edge of technology or somebody else with perhaps not as important a message will be. So you can't avoid it. You can't hide from it. You can't, uh, you can't be using a typewriter in a, uh, in a computer age. 
At the same time, however, and this is, I think, equally important, you can't let the technology drive the substance. Yes. Uh, you can't be all about bells and whistles uh, and not about substance. Mm-hmm. Many, many years ago, 50 years ago to be exact, Edward R. Murrow gave a now famous speech where he lamented the fact that without intelligent human intervention, television would become nothing more than wires and lights in a box. Mm-hmm. The speech is still referred to as the wires and lights in a box speech. And most people back then thought it was just a clever line uh, or a warning from a cranky old-timer. What they didn't understand was that the wires and the lights and the boxes were going to become ever more sophisticated and complex, and yet the intelligence or lack thereof that they carried was pretty much going to be the same. So while you need to be hip to the new technology, you need to use it, you need to understand it, you can't be frightened of it, Uh, you can't forget either that what you came to do was not play with wires and lights in a box, Mm -hmm. but say something important to somebody else in a way that they might remember it and act on it and be better for it. So we really have, we're really in a time where we have more opportunity than ever to get our message out because there's, there's such a great vehicle now. Where before, still, you know, you were limited to go through that newspaper or that radio station or that TV station and you were filtered and didn't always get in, where today you just get in. But, but you still have to have a message. Absolutely, yeah. Let's talk about message and let's talk about crisis because in your book you talk about crisis communication. What happens when you're in crisis with a client? Or Should you be using the Internet? Should you be using, you know, the writing skill? Should you be getting on the phone? Talk about crisis. And technology well, as well of, as others. Sure, all of the above. I mean, crisis communication is just communication under pressure. Uh, a crisis is defined as many things in many ways, but some of the common threads are that the pressure is great, the risk is great, uh, time is limited, you don't know enough about what's going on. These are all serious challenges. Uh, Clearly, communication in those circumstances is more difficult than it is when you have more control, but it's equally more important. Uh, One of the big challenges of managing a crisis is getting the truth out, because in a crisis situation, rumors will fill any, uh, any vacuum of communication. One of the biggest mistakes that people make when they're Uh, dealing in crisis communication is waiting to know everything before you say anything. Mm. Why is that a problem? Well, it's a problem because somebody else will fill up that gap with rumor. If you don't tell the the story, somebody else will. Uh, If you say... Don't wait. Don't wait to respond is what you're saying. Exactly. Exactly. There's a there's a tendency, and it's and it's it comes from a perfectly understandable place, and to an, to a certain extent, you can appreciate why someone would think this way. Well, I'm afraid to talk about what happened because I really don't know what happened. I don't know all the ins and outs. I don't know what caused the crash or the explosion or the spill. Therefore, I'm not going to say anything until I can be absolutely sure that I can give the complete story. Well, that sounds like a perfectly reasonable approach to take, doesn't it? 
But if you stop... But what you're saying is if you're not saying anything, other people are creating rumors in the meantime. Sure. Somebody else is going to explain in great detail to the media and anybody else who will listen exactly why you blew the building up or burned Mm -hmm. something down or spilled something in the river. Uh, And then you've got to scramble to explain why what that person says is totally wrong. The assumption on the part of the listener is, well, if it was wrong, where were you when we were asking what was going on? Mm -hmm. I'm going to naturally believe the person that uh, told me something rather than the person that refused to do so. You see the danger? Yeah. Yeah. So that's one of the fundamental rules of crisis communication. Communicate. Another fundamental rule is to go back and remember the emotional element. Uh, understand. For that reason, many people don't communicate because they're so emotionally distraught. They're afraid they're going to say something that they're going to be sorry for, so they don't. Exactly. And, and that's a very, very dangerous thing. You have to understand your mission. You have to understand the tools that you have at hand to deal with it. And you have to understand the emotional makeup of the people with whom you're trying to communicate. You have to understand what matters to them. For example, let's say you're the manager of a plant that blows up, and you're talking to the media, and by extension, you're talking to very important audiences, your workers, their families, neighbors in the community. Uh, Your strategic objective is not really to tell those people what happened and what's going on. That's the tactic. Your strategic objective is is to reassure those people that they're not going to die. But it's too easy for a lot of people because they know that there's no deadly danger. They can't imagine why anybody else would be worried about it. So they spend their time communicating the facts Mm -hmm. and explaining to people factually why they have nothing to worry about. And then they wonder why those people go away more afraid than they arrived. So what you're saying is whatever you say, make sure you tell the truth. Absolutely. Make sure. All right, we're coming to the close of the program. If people get one thing out of this program, David, on making your point and communicating effectively in this world of of new technology or new media, what's your message? I would say have a strategy, have a focus, and don't ever forget the emotional element. It applies whether you're writing on parchment, or communicating at the speed of light on the Internet. Okay. Meaning the emotional element of the person receiving the communication, as well as your emotional feelings, true? All of the above. Uh, It's the fundamental, often overlooked element of all communication, and always has been. Mm -hmm. Way before television, way before newspapers, way before the Internet, people were still communicating with one another, Sometimes successfully, sometimes not so successfully, the successful ones understood that they had to first communicate at an emotional level before they could possibly communicate at a rational level. All right. Thank you so much for being on the program, David. Stay on the line. Thank you. David Bartlett, author of Making Your Point, Communicating Effectively with Audiences of One to One Million. You can log on to making-your-point.com. You've been listening to, to Positive Living. 
I'm Patricia Raskin. Uh, take a look at my revised website, patriciaraskin.com or raskinresources.com. It will take you right to the Voice America shows, or you can log on to voiceamerica.com. All of my shows are archived on my site. I'd love to hear from you, Patricia, at raskinresources.com. As I always say when I close this program, stay healthy, stay happy, get the support you need, and know you can make your dreams come true. Until next time, I'm Patricia Raskin for Positive Living. Have a great Monday and a great week. listening to Positive Living with Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. For an autographed copy of Patricia's book, Pathfindings, Seven Principles for Positive Living, log on to raskinresources.com and tune in next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific for Positive Living right here on voiceamerica.com.